Hello, my name is Paul Fahey and I'm the Artistic Director of Galway International Arts Festival. Welcome to the special autumn edition of the festival and to our festival gallery for this spectacular exhibition, Night Cargo, by the wonderful Hughie O'Donoghue. Galway International Arts Festival has enjoyed a long creative relationship with Hughie O'Donoghue, first presenting his work The Deep in the Fairgreen Gallery in 2006. Subsequently, the festival presented The Road in 2011 at the Absolute Gallery, which toured to the Docks Centre for Contemporary Arts in Prague later that year. Huey's most recent exhibition in Galway in 2016, 100 Years and Four Quarters, a festival commission, marked the Irish centenary, and that show was seen at the Festival Printwork Gallery at the Connacht Tribune. Today, we welcome you to the latest festival gallery on the grounds of the Galway Post Office, the site of what was, was once the first Galway cinema, the Empire Cinema, in 1919, a 1,000-seater theatre with an eight-piece resident orchestra. Hughie O'Donoghue has long explored themes of memory, history, myth, humanity and war and excavates these themes in some of these grand scale and strikingly visual paintings. His work is often a response to the legacy of loss and how we remember things, his principal preoccupation, which is retained and what is lost and what is inherited. Like an archaeologist, O'Donoghue excavates the past, making history all the more tangible. His works reawaken our awareness of irrevocable passage of time and always speaks passionately for the historical and personal perspectives it portrays. In this exhibition, Night Cargo, Huey's paintings were inspired in some by F. W. Mornu's 1922 silent masterpiece, Nosferatu. I'm delighted to be joined in conversation with Huey O'Donoghue to celebrate this exhibition and discuss his work and his career and life. Huey, you're very welcome back to Galway. Thank you, Paul. So before we start to talk uh, in some detail about this particular show and your painting, can we ask you just a little bit about your, your connection to Ireland? You were born in Manchester, but obviously you have very strong links here um, and to County Mayo, where, where you spend a lot of your, your time and where you live and work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I was born in Manchester and I'm um, very proud of being born in Manchester. Um, my mother came from the west of Ireland to Manchester in 1937. And that's where she met my father, who grew up in County Kerry. So I have very strong links. And I was brought back to Ireland uh, as a child um, every year to County Mayo, with the exception of 1962, where I was brought to Galway. Um, because I think my father had seen uh, the documentary A Man of Aaron, um, which is a is a the magical film about Aaron. It's not really a documentary, but it's a work of imagination. And that, that inspired him to take me to uh, Inner Shear, where we stayed for a week in 1962. So was that your first experience of the, the Plassey, which we'll talk about a little bit again, and which is featured in your work many, many times as, it, a, as a strong motif? It was. I wasn't actually sure exactly where I was because I was quite young there, I was nine years old, and I hadn't taken in a lot of the detail, and it was very sunny, and um, I thought it was in the South Seas or somewhere, because it was, it was a magically um, sunny week, and then we came across this, this ship on a beach, um, wrecked on a beach, somewhat inexplicably, and it was still quite a new ship then, it was black and white, it had only been wrecked two years earlier, and it stayed in my memory, memory indelibly, really. And I think part of what my work is about is about the idea that uh, 
our sense of our identity comes from this, this archive of memory that we, that we grow in ourselves. And it, it's most vivid when we're children, our, our sense of who we are. Um, and uh, so although this was a new, strange experience for me, it became part of my, my own personal history and uh, it stayed within my memory. So it's become, the Plassey has become a kind of uh, stand-in for a self-portrait in, in, in a way. I return to the Plassey periodically and it, it's like an actor in a play that takes on different roles and it ages like we all age. You know, it's now this beautiful phosphorescent rusting Anthony Caro mm -hmm. sculpture that's on the beach at, at Inishia, uh, or the shore at Inishia, I should say. And of course, the, the Plassey was a cargo vessel, uh, an Irish cargo vessel by the time, by the time yes. you, you, of your, your memory of it. But it was commissioned, I think it was called, was it called the Juliet? Um, the Juliet. It was, it was, it was commissioned as um, an armoured trawler uh, in 1940. And uh, it was a Royal Naval vessel and it saw service in, mainly in the Mediterranean. It was involved in the invasion of North Africa by the American uh, uh, army in 1943. So it has this kind of history. Uh, my own father was involved in the army. So there's, there's various, various points of connection. But by 1960, it was part of the Limerick Steamship Company and it was a, a kind of tramp steamer that w w went up and down the west coast of Ireland um, delivering goods of various kinds and it was wrecked in 1960, and uh, all of the members of the crew were rescued by the islanders of Inishia. And um, I believe some of them are still alive. And of course, the Limerick Steam, I'm not too sure where the Limerick Steamship Company were based, where they based in Limerick or not, but they certainly have, they had a, a base Office. here in Galway at the docks, and there's still a very beautiful facade on one of the, uh, uh, I think it's probably an apartment block or, or, or a, a, an office block down at the, the dockside still, yes, Limerick Steamship written on it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's made it fascinatingly that that is kind of ingrained in your in your memory as a as a as a young boy. So yeah. when can you can you remember the first time you kind of used that in in any of your work? Um, probably not. It was there as a kind of um, thing in my archive. I, I, I keep my photographs and records. Of so had you photographed it way back then in 1962? Oh, yeah. or uh, not in 62. No. Curiously enough, my father, who used cameras a lot. Prior to that, we have no photographic record of that. The only, the only record I have of that trip, actually, is a postcard that I sent to my mother um, in my nine-year-old handwriting, and I signed myself A, which is the Irish for Hugh. And uh, so that's, that's why I know it was 1962. Um, but... Uh, were you aware that A was the Irish for Hugh before you no, write in there? Well, I was probably told it yeah. was. Uh, so uh, I subsequently became aware of that. But my father was very interested in the Irish language. He'd, grow, he'd grown up in Kerry. Um, but he, his, his background was very, very conflicted in that he'd been a soldier in the British Army during the Second World War, um, throughout the entire Second World War. Um, yet we had a strong Republican connection. So all of that is kind of grist to the mill in my work. It's something that interests me. History is complex. 
It's got complex layers. It's not simple. It's not black and white. It's not about flag waving. It, it has complex layers to it. And so the Plassey has emerged in my work as something that I return to, that I remember. And um, I think that what's important with an artist's work is that it's personal, that it has, um, uh, it's not generalized. It's not, it's not about skill and it's not about, but it's about intensity. And um, so I go back to memories that are intense in order to generate some intensity in my work. Because I think that's the only thing that actually is important in art is some kind of intensity. Mm. And so just exploring that a little bit further. So I've heard you speak before about, about memory and then about kind of like the art of remembering. And in a way, they're, mm. they're kind of two distinctively yes. different kind of things. So can you maybe elaborate a little bit on, on that and how they, how they relate to each other and, yeah. and arrive in your, in your work? Well, often uh, people have a, an idea about memory that it's like um, very dubious that, that well, we all know the experience of memory where we uh, we think we remember something, we go back somewhere and think, but this is, it was not the same, it was bigger than this, it was different. Memory is always, um, uh, it's subjective, but that's because it, what it records is how we feel, not empirical facts. It records about, it records how we feel about things. And um, so, as a motif in my work, memory has become about, well, as I said earlier, identity, but the idea of how we, how we unearth our sense of our identity, who we are. And uh, I have a quite a complex identity because uh, depending on how you presented my family history, we could be rabid Republicans or we could be, um, you know, um, stalwarts of the British Army. So it, it's kind of complicated. And I, I think all histories are like mm. that, actually. I think that's more normal than... Uh, so my, my work as an artist is to kind of probe these things and to try and unearth paintings, a bit like an archaeologist might unearth something out of the ground that changes how we view something. You know, they said, well, the Romans were never here. And then all of a sudden you get a Roman something mm -hmm. or other in Dublin. And you think, well, actually, they, they must have been here or, or you know, whatever. So it's, it's about that probing, questioning, and uh, therefore, um, if you were to ask me, say, what, what my paintings mean, what they're about, they're about everything. They're about life, death, love, what have you, that's what they're about. But when I make them, I, I try to be as unself-conscious as I can and, and probe my own inner memories, demons, worries, whatever. And you spoke um, last week when we were just uh, finishing the installation here um, about your memory of seeing that Murnau 1922 film. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that and about the, how you saw yes. that film and why it stayed with you? And well, I remember this very well because it would be, I would, I would think about 16 years old and uh, I would be going to the pub in Manchester with my mates and <laughs> we would come, I would come home at 11 o'clock at night and there was a, there was a, they were, they were showing horror films at, uh, so when you got back from the pub, you'd sit down and, um, you know, watch horror film or whatever and go to bed. 
And there was a whole series of them, most of them which were very, very poorly made, hammer horror films. And then one night, um, somebody came in and introduced this film, Nosferatu, and, and it was announced as a silent film. And I thought, oh God, silent film, this is going to be, I'm almost going to bed. And then the film started and I was completely captivated by it because it, it is a masterpiece of cinema. And one of the things about silent film that I didn't understand then, that I understand now, is much more emphasis is placed on imagery and the sequencing of images which is a real painterly... Very visual gene, storytelling. Visual, visual storytelling. Whereas with dialogue later, things became, you know, and uh, it's, in my view, it's the only really frightening vampire film. I mean, there's no ambiguity about the vampire Count Orlok in Nosferatu. And of course, so it, and in that film, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but the... But the um, the Night Visitor, which is one of the, t the, the yes. titles in, in, in the spectacular painting behind you. Um, he arrives at this town on a vessel with coffins filled with earth and he brings yes. the plague. And I think yes. it's 19, 1922, I think was the film was made. Yes. And he brings the plague to the small town. So yes. I mean, here we are as we're living through a, a plague today. It's a very a, strong resonance there. Exactly. Well, that became, it, didn't, it wasn't at the start, but it became apparent in, I made a series of works, which I normally would do. Um, and the, uh, in, in Murnau's story, which, which kind of is a vampire film, but it also, it's kind of about the memory of the First World War. And it's about the, all the optimism of the people who went away and, and about the coffins that came back. And so I was, I was kind of aware of that. But um, as we were making this, uh, I, I thought about remaking, because Murnau's film remakes Bram Stoker's Dracula. And uh, that was the reason it was banned. So uh, it, one of the ideas that came to mind was that I kind of remake in painting Murnau's version of Nosferatu, and I based it in Ireland, um, which has a strong sense of the supernatural pervades Irish culture even now. Um, anywhere you go in Ireland, there's, there's evidence of belief in the supernatural. And uh, in the, the Night Visitor, um, there's an, the most extraordinary scene in the film is where the, the vampire gets off the ship and he's killed everybody in the ship and he carries off this, this box of earth into the town and nobody's awake, it's early in the morning, he arrives in the town and he goes to... Um, and so this, was the, this painting remade it, I remade it in the Belmullet Peninsula um, and uh, my son is the model for the vampire and he carries a coffin and um, it's, a, it's now a disused church in, in the Mullet Peninsula. So it's kind of reimagining the story, a bit like how we reimagine things in sleep, mm -hmm. in dreams, uh, how we carry car the, the exhibition title is Night Cargo. That refers to dreams, to the, the burden of when we when our subconscious, when we go to sleep, we carry this baggage. And that's why some of the paintings are made on sacks. It's like, this is baggage, it's cargo. Um, and we can't escape our, our ex past experiences. We have to process them. And so um, 
Yeah, so it... Yeah, and, and the paintings, just as you're talking about materials, like they're all on there, it's, it's um, they're all painted on tarpaulin and, and, and sacks, yeah. as you say. So is that, is, that's pretty new departure for you. It is, and it, 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 it exactly dates from the last time I showed in, in Galway, which was 2016. There was one painting, which is the first painting I made on tarpaulin. And um, after that, I thought, well, I'll, I'll start. I, I thought about tarpaulin, but I later thought about, well, any repurposed material, either, rather than fine art materials as such, with, this, with all, all their history and baggage, that these, these, these materials have a history with them. And the tarpaulins have been folded up and uh, transported, so the folds are in the pictures. And can I ask you, so has that given you any kind of different sort of freedom as opposed to, as you say, like dealing with a, like a very fine linen or whatever else you might normally paint on, but it's kind of a, a rougher, maybe a more robust kind of a, a fabric? Yeah, it, it, it does. It certainly gives freedom. And that, that's partly due in my own personal history. But the idea that, uh, that you can make a painting that you can roll it up and not be precious with it, really. That's terribly liberating. Mm. Some of these paintings have been transported in suitcases on an aircraft, you know, <laughs> so um, that's not precious. And these are largely acrylic, aren't they? they? They are a mixture of acrylic and oil. And uh, there's a number of processes involved, but paint technology is improving. And we have sort of Alkid paints, which are sort of hybrid paints. So. Uh, a lot of what I'm considering when I'm painting the pictures is what what layer I do next. Mm. I'm, I'm trying not to, sometimes I mix oil and acrylic because they resist each other and they create interesting surface effects. Uh, but if you prime the work well, and uh, so there's, there's a lot of um, what I call um, alchemy going on in the paintings. It's about the idea of the alchemist of who's experimenting, trying to find, you know, the transmission of base material into gold, mm -hmm. which is a, a sim symbolism for, uh, for art, really. Um, and speaking of gold, there's a, the, the Red Rain painting. Um, yeah. As you watch, it's amazing to sit in here at various times of the day. And obviously, we've got fantastic daylight um, in, in, in mm. uh, the earlier part of the day, and it's beautifully lit tonight. But it, the paintings take on a huge different light, depending on the a huge different life, rather, depending on the quality of light that's shining on yes. them. And at the moment, we're in, in kind of a more theatrical, I suppose, kind of setting yes. in the way that, that, that yeah. they've been lit. But like what really struck me the first evening I saw um, the Night Visitor one in particular mm. was like thinking of, of 1922 and the silver screen or whatever. And mm. it was almost this silver kind of cinematic sheen yeah. for that particular work. Yeah. So like, are there different kind of finishes that you're putting on yeah. the, the works to kind of to capture that yeah. and similarly with, with, with Red Rain um, over yeah. your other shoulder which has this kind of incredible gold glow. Yeah. Well that, that's interesting I mean that, that was an idea that came when, you, when you're trying to work as an artist you get an idea to do something and the, the idea about all of a sudden the light went on and I thought why not re revisit Murnau's film and I thought well how do you how do you do that and I thought well what the silver the silver screen was a term that was used in uh, early, early descriptions of the cinema. And I do remember myself seeing black and white cinema in, um, and, and the drama of, of this, going into this darkened space as a child and seeing this enormous silvery screen. And so that, that, 
prompted my, me to, to investigate uh, new metallic paints, which I, I didn't really know about. So I went in and I started, started using them, mainly um, silver initially, but also platinum and um, various. And then I realized I could, I could modify them. And um, so that became a, a kind of ge a generator of the process, really, this idea that, about the silver screen, that I would make them like cinema screens. They were metallic. They had luster. And, and one of the reasons I, I respond particularly to this, this most theatrical lighting here is because it, it, it reflects that. And the fact that this has a bit of history of the cinema, it's a bit like going about the awe of going into a, to see these images when, when that was really in the early days of the images. So they're meant to sort of to, um, reflect, reflect that. But I do lots of things to modify. I modify them with oil paint, glaze them, change them. And the gold of um, the kind of golden colors is something that's quite new uh, in red rain. Um, the more works you do, the more you want to experiment, change and, and try different different effects, see what you can do. So that's about the, the freedom of the process. And, and you wrote as well in your artist statement about, um, you know, seeing maybe like some of Myrna's imagery as, um, as uh, maybe like an allegory for World War One or for yeah. the Spanish flu, which is very interesting. And again, like so, so relevant to today as we're, yeah. as we're living with this pandemic. But I was also struck the first day when this, there was kind of a structure to the show and everything was kind of hanging. Um, of T.S. Eliot's Wasteland, and you know he yes. writes as your, your Europe is crumbling, yes. and um, but also you, you've you've referenced another poet um, uh, in this piece behind you, yeah. uh, to your, uh, over your right shoulder, yes. I should say, yes. the Steady Drummer, which is the I think it's Shropshire, Shropshire Lad, Lad, 1935. Um, yeah. The name of the poet escapes me, but there's a, yeah. a beautiful ref, re, verse that references the Steady Drummer, yeah. and of course we see on the top right hand corner these skeletal like figures and these drums um, as the 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 the, the, the Classy obviously dominates the foreground. So can you yeah. tell us maybe a little bit more about this particular piece? Well, um, it, there's a great documentary. Um, I mean, a really great documentary on the, the Great War that was a BBC documentary from the early 60s. Um, it's called The Great War. And the first episode of that is called The Idle Hill of Summer. And it's about this poem, On the Idle Hill of Summer. And it's about a young man resting in the sort of sunshine of um, an English summer, but in the distance he can hear this this kind of steady drumming, um, and the the poem um, was used in the context of this documentary as the sort of uh, the setting the scene for the for the the the. the fabled summer of 1914 before the Great War started. And um, so it makes, it makes reference to that, but it, it's about um, the themes of the painting. Are, are, it's quite a threatening painting, and I've used the um, um, Holbein's Dance Macabre, the image of the skeletons ba banging the drum behind the, the ship. So it, it's, it's, it's an image of the sea that's quite threatening. It's about, um, about the unknown future and about, um, about 
why we should never really forget the First World War or the Second World War, because they were seismic catastrophes brought on by human stupidity. And uh, the poem is about that, the, the idle hill of summer. It's about, um, it's about the idea of, of sleepwalking into a disaster. And so the painting is not, it doesn't illustrate that, but it references that. And um, it's, it's often cited in relation to the sort of catastrophe of the First World War. So. Um, and just to talk again, just again, the physicality, I mean, these are massive paintings, as people can probably see with, with our, the yeah. proportion of our bodies in, re in relation to them. But how do you physically paint them? Paint them? Like, are, are you on the floor or are you on a scaffolding or um, describe the physicality of? Uh, well, they, they're new painting, they're, new, they're kind of new paintings for me. And in the past, I always painted paintings upright. But with these paintings, because I'm getting older and because the best way of doing them was to make them on the floor and to allow the paint to dry while it was on the floor, to climb up ladders and look at them, photograph them as they were going on. So largely most of the work on these paintings was done on the floor. They were, plastic was laid on the floor and um, the paint was applied on the floor and allowed to dry. And that's why they have some of these effects where paint oxidizes and it, it's left in wet pools and it dries and it has a kind of a very fluid natural feel to it but at some point they were put up onto the wall um, and that's often quite late in the process where you're able to then stand back from them and see the image and so I'd make changes to them. How much, do you, how much do you discover as you're painting? Like, are, you know, is there, as you're, like, have you a clear image in your head when you're, when you're starting something or, uh, you know, as you're you know, midway through the process of completing a piece, are you seeing stuff that's kind of evolving, that's kind of shaping you and your response to it as, as yeah. it emerges? Or can you talk a little bit about yes. that? Yeah. Everything really is in the process because um, that's what distinguishes painting as an art form from or there are forms where things are, where the meaning is held elsewhere. In painting, the meaning is absolutely held in the process of making the work, and so that can't be a that can't be a sort of um, uh, a process of going through A, B, C. There has to be alchemy involved in it. So things happen in the process, which change your ideas. Um, I work with imagery that I've taken photographically and that uh, move it around the, the painting. And, and sometimes I think I've finished something and then I think, no, I haven't finished it and add something. Um, so is that, is that what photo tracing is? Because I know you've introduced photo tracing. Well, photo trace is a, is a term I've used just to, to try and describe the fact that the, the photography is used within painting now. It's universally used within painting. I can, there's some paintings that don't use it, but you can, you can immediately tell and read a photographic image. So that, that's a photographic trace. But the process of making the painting, and with this painting, uh, the steady drummer, the idea of putting the skeletons into it came quite late in the day. Uh, in the process of painting, mm. I felt that it needed something more. 
And they're so incredibly powerful. I mean, not immediately apparent when you look at the painting yeah, first, but, but then they're so powerful. And when you see the, the playing trumpets, mm. banging drums, and it's, it's from the dance macabre of Hans yeah. Holbein. The, the Day of the Dead was, yeah, it was. Yeah. So was it's about, so that's, and the, the image of the, of the ship, the, this kind of rusting Leviathan, of it, and it's a bit like a medieval helmet something about like the eyes of a, of a, of a war helmet uh, that's in the picture. So all those things are, are there, but, and the orange, I mean, um, the intense color, which is often a warning sign in nature. Um, all those things would be in, in the picture, but they don't, they're not, they're not things that are in at the start. You feel your way mm. slowly towards the picture. I think that's where painting differs from conceptual art. Um, it's not that it doesn't, painting has ideas, but the ideas are embodied in the painting rather than illustrated. Mm -hmm. They are gradually, the meaning accrues rather than just is simply placed in the work. And so when I'm, off, when I'm painting, there are things in the painting that I, that I don't know about that that are going in from subconscious. So the, the reference to dreams is a bit like that. I'm trying to be in touch with my subconscious mm -hmm. in painting. Are you good at knowing when a, when a, when a painting is finished? Um, I'm better now than I used to be because I think it takes time um, to finish a painting. And it, for me, uh, it's usually a point where you just don't want to return to the painting. If something's irritating you in a painting, that usually means it's, it's often a formal thing, but really what you're trying to do is achieve in a painting something that surprises you and that lives outside of you. And when you come back to look at it years later, you think, how on earth did I do that? I can't remember. You know, that would be, that's, that's how and you so Can you talk to us a little bit about the three, uh, the three paintings that adrift that, um, yeah, uh, feature the plastic. They're incredibly beautiful uh, as images, but obviously, again, the you know, we I grew up in Galway, so I was always mm. familiar with the with the plastic being this just shipwreck in, in yeah. a, uh, off the, the the west coast. But obviously, the, you know, symbolically, it's kind of taken on this. It's it's this vessel. Um, we've how many times have we watched the news over the last number of yeah. years, and we see all these vessels coming across the Mediterranean. Yeah. So I found those incredibly powerful and incredibly moving uh, on, on right. first view. Well. They, they are, they, they're all entitled Adrift, and um, the, the title references this precarious state of um, immigration. I didn't want to do it in a literal way, because um, I don't think painting works particularly well when it's literal. But I wanted to have, you know, so the Plassey is possibly somewhat implausibly refloated and it's um it's just it's just a battered vessel that any anybody who's had anything to do with the sea would know is unseaworthy mm -hmm. um but these vessels that have been transporting um refugees across the mediterranean have clearly been unseaworthy as well and so um the paintings allude to this this very current um, issue of the um, 
the unresolved problem of, of migration, the fact that people are prepared to sort of not just risk their lives, but lose their lives to go to some, to some better place. Um, so the title Adrift relates to that. The Plassey is the, um, is, is the, is the image again, but I've tried to make them. They're all, the, they're made on rough materials on tarpaulin. Um, this is slightly irregular shape. I've tried to make the paintings beautiful because beauty is one of the things that's shocking in art. It draws the viewer in and, um, uh, rather than hammering them over the head with a mallet and mm -hmm. delivering a message, the beauty is, is the first encounter with the work that draws you in. And, uh, and perhaps you then look at the title and you ponder what the work is about. Mm -hmm. So that's there. Can I ask you about another painting that's not in the show, but which we have shown before? And I was thinking about this earlier today. I mean, like the 20th century was so defined mm. by you know, the two great wars. And in a way, the 21st century, one of the kind of first you know, big visual things that the world engaged with was, mm. was the fall of the Twin Towers in, in yeah. New York. And yeah. conscious as well that it's, it's autumn now and New York is probably remembering around now the 19th mm. anniversary of of that, that time. And that, the painting I'm talking about is that incredible Tomb of the, the Diver. Yeah. Uh, and you drew on, on some, some of those uh, images for that piece. Yes, yeah. Uh, well, that's, that painting is 2003. I think it's two years after that. Um, that was kind of a seismic event for everybody who knew about that. And the painting was shown here in Galway um, in 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so, it referred to the, the, the Twin Towers in its form particularly because it's, 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 it's very tall, 16 feet tall, but it's in three sections. So it's a bit like the two towers and in the middle, mm -hmm. there's a figure of a diver, a plunging diver. And the divers off the Twin Towers were very contentious. Um, um, a lot of people, were frowned upon this. I, I always saw them as a very positive image. People who um, didn't await fate, they, they were, they were going to be burned, so they, they jumped, whatever. It was, a, it was an affirmation of, of human choice for me. But the painting uh, references lots of, lots of issues about, about life and death and timeless issues, because it also references a painting from 480 BC called the Tomb of the Diver, which is in Paestum in Italy. And it's about, the, it was discovered quite recently, but it's about a diver who, and the diver is symbolic of the passage of um, the tomb's occupant, who was a young man, young man, he was an old man then, he was about 40. And it portrays him diving into the afterlife and he, he dives into the unknown waters. And so, painting had a number of reference points, but its main reference was 9-11. And, uh, and so I don't very often reference things that are absolutely of the moment in my work, um, but that is an exception because it was such a, you know, because I, I don't like to do reportage. I like to do things that are more timeless. So, but that is an exception that it was the, it was the events of 9-11 and, um, 
I was trying to portray them in a in a timeless context that this has happened before, mm-hmm. and it you know it may happen again. Mm-hmm. So well, regrettably. So the final pieces in this show that I want to ask you about um, are the, the the night cargo pieces, the pieces painted on sack or old 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 bags, whatever. Way I'm correct in that, um, and so you've you've used previously you've used you did a, a sculptural piece in the 2016 show, uh, two th- um, 100 years and four quarters, and you've used some physical objects um, in 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 other in some other paintings. But here you're giving in in these you're giving some of the sacks a, a different kind of a volume. They look like they're mm. they're padded or whatever, and they, I mean they really give an extraordinary sense of of just the power and the depth of, of the sea. So are, is that a relatively new um, new thing to do as well? They're very new, yes, yeah, absolutely very new. Although they do um, reference back to work that I made in the 1970s, surprisingly, but um, they're more, they have a more sculptural dimension and because they were sacks, it seemed appropriate to fill them with something. And um, the... Um, piece night cargo on the other wall is is filmed is filled with the the newspapers of the 20th of July this year so it's kind of a time capsule of information mm-hmm. as well as but you can't see that it's inside it but um, that's that's what it was filled with and the idea is again this idea of cargo um, baggage and I suppose I was drawn to Sachs my grandfather, Hugh, or oh, uh, Hugh, Hugh, I don't know the same name as me, worked all his life um, at Oldham Road Goods Depot in Manchester, unloading sacks, cargo from. That was that was his job. That was what he did until um, he was in his late sixties. Uh, he was a, a, la- a railway labourer. His brother, I think, was a stevedore in San Francisco and did more or less the same thing. So. The, the image, the idea of the sax as a vehicle for the painting occurred to me, this is kind of a particular family reference that it, it's there. Um, it also forms a grid. So it kind of structures this image of the sea and it kind of undulates a bit like the, the water, the sea it moves like the water. And the imagery is, is um, from crossing the Irish Sea, which is something I've done for over 60 years. And my memories of, that's a, another memory that kind of, as a child, it was very, very vividly remembered the night, the night ferries from Hollyhead to Dunleary went at 10.10 and 10.20. Oh, the, the train from Manchester went at 10.10 and 10.20. The ferry went about two o'clock in the morning and I used to get seasick and so, my father took me and stood me on the deck. So I spent the whole night in the wind and rain looking, looking at the horizon and the moving sea. And it's a very enduring, enduring memory. It's a great so it's, image. It's about, it's about that. But night cargo also refers to the, the troubled and the way our, our dreams and our, um, our subconscious anxieties often emerge at night in our sleep so there's a kind of the references there i think to that fantastic well Hugh, it's been we could talk all night it's been an absolute <laughs> joy and we're really thrilled having you back in galway and you know just a little anecdote when we were building the space and as the walls were kind of growing and this 
big, big wall with two huge pieces um, was being finalised. I remember taking a photograph of it, of it and sending it to you going, you've got to come and put something on, <laughs> on this space. So it's, it's, uh, it's brilliant that, that you're here and thank you so much for this well, wonderful show. Uh, we're a, really thrilled. It's a great pleasure to be back and uh, as always, and there's a, there's a bit of a history now. You know, I, 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 this is the fourth time I've shown here, so it has its own narrative, its own history. And, mm. It's part of my, my history, so I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, thank fantastic. You. And thank you uh, to all of our viewers for joining us. And we'd like to thank the Arts Council of Ireland for their ongoing support of Galway International Arts Festival and to all our other festival partners and supporters. And of course, to Unpost for their generosity in allowing us to use this space. So thank you.